Welcome to Seeds of Science, a podcast by UHN trainees and postdoctoral researchers showcasing how today's junior researchers are growing in their scientific fields. Over this podcast series, you will hear from a wide range of trainees and postdoctoral researchers across the different UHN research sites. My name is Rima, and I'm your host for this week's episode. Today, I talked to Shreya Gandhi. Her research in Dr. Gallery Zade's laboratory at the Princess Market Cancer Research Tower focuses on hypoxia in patients with glioblastoma brain cancer. And through techniques such as cytometry by time of flight, she characterizes how hypoxia alters immune cell proportions in glioblastomas, which is crucial to developing more targeted therapies. Shreya was a master's student that transferred to PhD in order to accelerate her graduate studies and pursue medicine after. As the daughter of a brain tumor survivor, it has long been her dream to work as a clinician scientist in neuro-oncology and do for others what many neurosurgeons have done for her mom. Shreya is the current chair of the Canadian Cancer Society Research Information Outreach Team, the Toronto Division, a co-founding member of the SuperKids program with the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada, Brain Tumor Awareness Walk co-coordinator, and serves as a public policy committee member with the Society of Neuro-Oncology. In today's episode, Shreya shares the story of how her anxiety surrounding her mother's diagnosis and her passion for advocacy set her down a path of founding the Youth Brain Tumor Awareness Walk, Project X, and recently creating a policy paper advocating for pediatric brain tumor survivors to automatically qualify for the additional resources in school that are needed. During my conversation with Shreya, I was inspired by her strength through the challenges she's faced and her consistent passion towards helping others when she hears their stories. With her undeniable hard work and discipline, loads of coffee, love of brains, and heart keen on helping others, Shreya is fighting brain tumors from all angles, research, clinical, and policy. I hope you all enjoy getting to know Shreya and her story as much as I did. Hello, Shreya. Welcome to the Seas of Science podcast. Before we dig into your scientific journey, could you give a brief description of where you're at now? Briefly, what is the topic you're researching? Hey, guys. It's so nice to be here. (laughs) Um, I'm a first-year PhD student at the University of Toronto's Institute of Medical Sciences, and I research at Princess Margaret Cancer Research Tower. And my supervisor or principal investigator is Dr. Gellere Zade. Amazing. So what is very broadly the research topic that you're interested in? So it's almost like a fishing expedition, the study that we're currently working on. It's called genomic landscaping of hypoxic regions in glioblastomas, which is a really fancy way of saying glioblastomas are the most fatal brain cancer that adults struggle with or are diagnosed with. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're so fatal is because you have areas that are deprived of oxygen and those areas eventually die. So we're essentially profiling those areas as their oxygen level progressively decreases. And I say it's a fishing expedition because we're looking at the proteins that change, the RNA that changes, the DNA, like in terms of methylation patterns. Um, So it's really just trying to understand the characteristic that makes these tumors so aggressive. Trying to better understand these tumors is very important research. So it's good that you're looking at all of these factors. What motivated you to pursue the specific field of research? Yeah, so when I was 16, so actually going back even further than that, when I was four and my brother was seven, my mom was diagnosed with an ependymoma, which interestingly is actually a pediatric brain tumor. Thankfully, it was not cancerous, but they detected it in her when she was like 30, in her early 30s. Mm -hmm. But after her surgery, she was diagnosed with Bell's palsy. 
which I guess one of the most aggressive features of it is that you'll have temporary episodes of facial paralysis. And to my brother and I and my dad, it's like it's something we've seen, but for a lot of people, it can be extremely scary. And I think as I got older, I understood how terrifying the whole situation was. I felt like I was tiptoeing every time I talked to her because I didn't want to say something that would trigger a bad memory. So it got really hard. So when I was 16, I struggled pretty badly with anxiety. And I started working with the Brain Tumor Foundation in Canada because I felt like there were so many young people that were struggling the way that I was and just no one knew where to go. So then this is kind of like crazy and just in the way that it happens, but my best friend and I started a youth campaign. I'm kind of diverting a bit, but we started a youth campaign for brain tumor awareness. It became huge to make a long story short. And I kind of became someone who was pretty involved with the Brain Tumor Foundation. And then in that time, I started doing research because I was trying to understand the science perspective of what was going on because that took away some of the pain of all those memories. And then for International Women's Day, they asked that I interview somebody. I didn't know who it was. And then it just happened to be Dr. Gellerizade. She told me about her research. I fell in love with it. And then, yeah, I started researching in her lab. So it was kind of an emotional perspective that drove it. But... Mm -hmm. I like I love the research. Mm -hmm. It's really admirable that after experiencing all of that, you created a new way for you and other youth that both helps you cope with your experiences and helps others by getting involved through the youth campaign for brain tumor awareness. And I'm so happy that this opened up an opportunity for you to do the research that you're doing right now. Um, I want us to dig into the details of this story more. So from the beginning, how did you come up with this campaign specifically focused on the youth? I heard on the radio that there was a brain tumor awareness walk happening in our city. So then I told my best friend about it. And the funny thing is we wanted to get involved and there's like a lot of Susans in the brain tumor foundation. So I meant to email somebody that was involved in student recruitment and volunteer recruitment. And I accidentally emailed the CEO um, because there were too many Susans and she responded back to me in like 20 minutes. So then we connected with her and we kind of realized that there it was very kind of adult oriented. There were not many kids and young people involved in the walk. And I know that was something that they were trying to address. So our goals were kind of aligned with the same thing. So then we called it Project X Never Alone. X being um, the fact that you might walk on a path and think you are alone, but eventually your path will cross with someone else forming an X. So we ended up getting like 250 student volunteers involved. And um, yeah, that was the first walk. And, and actually the second year that we returned, it was almost the number of young people was double the amount of adults, which they had never seen before. So yeah, I think it was just, we kind of realized that there's a lot of people that are in similar situations, but they don't know how to get involved. So you kind of just have to take that leap of faith and you'd be really surprised by the number of people that are willing to go on that journey with you. in this lab, you mentioned your current research is kind of like a fishing expedition. Yeah. So what would you say you've enjoyed learning most while doing your research? It can be techniques or topic or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, one of the really cool things about, I guess, doing a PhD in a lab or even doing grad studies is that you have a lot of freedom in, in the techniques that you're trying to bring to the lab and, and what you're exploring. So like I said, 
basically there's a drug that we give to patients. It's obviously a non-toxic compound. Um, so consenting patients get it right before their surgery, the surgery to remove the lesion of brain tumor. And it's really cool because then when you have the tumor specimen removed, the drug actually allows you to now visualize the areas of that tumor that are oxygen deprived. Mm. So one of the really cool things is that as a grad student in this lab, I'm able to bring in this new technique called cytometry by time of flight. Super fancy way of just saying that it allows you to quantify all the proteins that are involved in that specific area. And of course, the area of interest for us are those areas that are oxygen deprived. So because we're trying to look at the profile of this area that's oxygen deprived, we have spatial transcriptomic data, which just means that we can see where these proteins are located, where the RNA is being expressed in this area of tissue. And then by bringing in this new technique, now we can take the location data and then combine it with data that tells you how much protein there is. So you're kind of really getting this huge like 360 degree view of the tumor and that specific area of it. So we're pretty early in the stages, but cytometry by time of flight, it's called CYTOF, the easier way to say it. It's been challenging because it's quite an extensive process. Honestly, I think I've spent six months on it and we're still just getting through the middle of it. Mm. But yeah, it's been it's been super cool because they've allowed me to bring this new technique into the lab. And I think when you have um, kind of expertise in an area that not many people know about, you're needed more, which is always nice in research because then people will come to you when they when they want to quantify proteins. But yeah, that's been super cool bringing that into the lab. And I, I, you know, obviously we're still early in the stages, so findings and stuff are always difficult to talk about. But yeah, I think Cytoff has been like the coolest experience so far. Yeah, I was really curious. I was about to ask you, like, is this something your lab is well known for? Is this something that you kind of, you know, brought there? So it was something that you established in this lab, right? Yeah. So I think the really cool thing about UHN is that you have all these kind of huge hospitals and, and laboratories in close proximity of each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm at Princess Margaret Cancer Research Tower, but across from us is Princess Margaret Hospital. And there's laboratories there that actually specialize in it. So it's never been brought into our lab. And it is kind of this new and growing technique because for a long time, it's been used for immune profiling and like mm-hmm. immune markers. But there's so much value in incorporating it into cancer research. So yeah, I think it's super cool. And I think once you've established CYTOF, which is a very fundamental technique, there's so many branches off of that experiment that you can go towards. So it just opens up so many opportunities for you. So super cool. That's really exciting. Like, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely amazing. And especially that you kind of bridged it between two different fields is really cool. I feel like that's where some of the most interesting experiments happen is when yeah. you take something in a different field and you try to apply it to yours. Yeah. So yeah, that's really amazing. campaign you started when you were younger and the current amazing research you're doing. So what are you doing outside of research right now? And how are you planning to continue your advocacy alongside your scientific journey? Yeah, I think when I started this entire thing with my best friend, I was 16. So I almost felt like I was throwing a pebble in in an ocean because it almost feels like, is anything that I'm doing even worth it? Or am I really having an impact? But then seeing the success of like Project X, Never Alone and everything, I kind of realized, okay, we are having an impact. There was a meeting that I remember with the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada. And there was a lady there who, she was a teacher. 
And her daughter was a pediatric brain tumor survivor, and she was just returning to school after surgery. And her mom, who, like I said, was a teacher, was really upset because she kind of mentioned that there's a program that schools in Ontario provide called IEP, Individual Education Plan. And it just means that you have extra teaching resources, more time with teachers, and students that are on the autism spectrum, they automatically qualify for an IEP. So this lady was really upset because she was a teacher. She knew the resources that are available, but her daughter did not automatically qualify for it, even though she was just post-surgery as a pediatric brain tumor survivor. Mm -hmm. So... I have never been the type of person to just listen to someone's story and not be impacted by it. Like, I always feel like I need to do something to help someone. Mm -hmm. Weirdly enough, by coincidence, by very happy coincidence, the next day, I saw that the Ontario Provincial Youth Cabinet was looking for a writing representative. And that writing representative would specifically work with the Minister of Health and Minister of Education. So... I was like, this is perfect because I feel like maybe I could have an impact for this lady who's clearly struggling. So we ended up developing a policy paper that advocated for pediatric brain tumor survivors to automatically qualify for an IEP when they return to school so that they have these additional teaching resources. And this policy paper was kind of huge for me personally because that was where I finally felt like I was kind of breaking the glass or breaking the barriers that were creating obstacles for so many people in this in this field of brain tumors and mm-hmm. cancer. And then actually when I joined Dr. Zade's lab, I was super lucky that I ended up being accepted into the public policy committee with the Society of Neuro-Oncology. So now I was like going beyond Ontario and going kind of international because mm-hmm. Society of Neuro-Oncology is basically an organization for all people involved in the neuroscience field across the world. And so then that was a huge transition for me. So actually I was super excited because something that was just passed and it just became public was that lomastine is a chemotherapeutic drug that's used for brain cancers. And for a long time it wasn't provided, you know, obviously to people unless you have the money for it. And it was just accepted back into the Medicare program, which means that people can now have access to that chemotherapy drug in the US. Um, And then Brain Tumor Foundation found out and now they're asking me to help bring it back in Canada. So that was huge for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that was the biggest thing in terms of advocacy that was moving forward as I progressed in my research. Mm -hmm. I I just that that is so incredibly inspiring. <laughs> I feel like I rarely hear of research students also having this sort of advocacy in terms of their their extracurriculars. Yeah. And so I'm wondering what kind of advice would you give to someone who wants to be more of an advocate and especially if they've never done it before because I feel like this isn't something that I know many people have done. Yeah. And so if someone's interested in this but they just don't know what the first step is or yeah. they just don't know how to do that or break the barrier as you said mm-hmm. to get that feeling that they're going to make that impact that you're making. Yeah. Yeah, what would you advise them? I think there's two things I would advise them and I'm actually really happy you asked this question. First from the perspective of a research trainee or a grad student You have to learn to stand your ground. And that's the biggest thing I learned this year because everyone has their own interests kind of at heart. And I think as someone who's now doing a PhD, I am in a very delicate position because I have to make sure I put my 110% in my research. But advocacy is like a whole other side to my life that I will never give up. Mm -hmm. And I've had, you know, conversations with my 
PI and my supervisor about, okay, well, how much time am I going to dedicate to this and how much time am I going to dedicate to that? At this point, I don't know if I've striked the perfect balance because I work like 14 hours a day, seven days a week. So <laughs> I don't really know if I'm the best person to give advice. But but then I think the other thing is that don't be afraid to share your story with other people because I think that I've gotten this far through the people that I've met. I've formed such an amazing network of people who still have my back since I was 16. Mm-hmm. And they will look out for you and they will kind of have your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. I think I've always been someone who's very vulnerable about my story. I don't hide my anxiety issues. I don't hide those parts of my life because I think those are literally the reason I'm here because that sadness and that fear that I felt drove me this far. Mm-hmm. So I think for anybody that is passionate about something, maybe they had a personal experience. It doesn't have to be brain tumors or cancer. It could be anything. But if you're really passionate about it, be vulnerable enough to share your story with everybody and see if there's people that are willing to go on that ride with you. Because like 99%, you will find someone who's willing to go on that ride with you. Mm-hmm. And by sharing your story, I'm sure you're inspiring many people who are listening right now. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there anyone specific that has inspired you to be this way by sharing their story yeah, or through their so impact in I'm your totally going to name drop her right now because she's <laughs> literally changed my life. Her name is Danielle King Froyo. That's her married name. So she is actually the person who recommended my name for the International Women's Day webinar. And that's the webinar where I met Gallery Zade. Danielle has kind of been that one person who, like when you tell people that you want to do neuro-oncology or you want to be a neurosurgeon, especially as a female in this field, it's really hard to convince people that you're going to get there because mm-hmm. you have a lot of responsibilities, but it's also a lot of work. But I think she's the one person who never, ever has doubted anything that I've said. She messages me all the time. She messaged me yesterday for, or two days ago for International Women's Day, whenever it was, two days mm-hmm. ago or yesterday. Actually, funny enough, I actually have a necklace. There's a pendant. It's a brain. But on the back of it, it says, do it for her. Oh and that her is actually Danielle. Because Danielle has a daughter who's just turned one years old, Peyton, and Danielle always tells me that she wants her daughter to be like me because we're both the same in that Dan- Peyton is the daughter of a brain tumor survivor who's Danielle, and I'm the daughter of a brain tumor survivor. And I think my mom always tells me that you have a choice on which road you want to go down, and it could be a very dark road, but I think I've always chosen to go on the positive one, although it's been hard. And I think just having someone who's constantly cheering you on, of course, my mom and I are best friends, but Danielle has been that one person where it's like she believes in me even at times where I feel like I'm not capable enough. And just the fact that she's the reason I'm working with Dr. Zade, honestly, I attribute everything that I am to her. And like, she's completely changed my life. And I don't think I will ever forget what she's done for me. That's like a fact. I absolutely love that. And I'm sure she's so proud of you too. Like this is, is, I love that you had that connection with someone that really inspired you in that way. And yeah, just, you can see that even now with her daughter, the fact that she's saying she wants her to grow up like you clearly means that, you know, like there is that connection both ways between you two, which is absolutely lovely. from here, what do you see for your future? Where would you like to be five years from now or 10 years from now? (laughs) Oh man, that question always has so much weight to it. And I think no matter how old you are, whenever you get that question, it's like daunting. I think that 
everyone goes into I'm kind of I'm going to change this into a life lesson. Mm-hmm. I think whenever you go into certain things, you think you have this whole idea or plan figured out. Going into undergrad, it was always med school, med school, med school. And kind of that is still the goal, but I feel like UHN and just even the programs at U of T, I'm totally plugging them right now, but um, they really helped me diversify and like appreciate research. I think with cancer research in particular, a lot of people are like, well, why is it taking so long to figure out a, a cure for cancer? You know, this has been the, the age old question. And after working for Dr. Zadi, I think I've understood why it's so complex. I feel like I go home every day needing an Advil because of, I've had a <laughs> headache. So I think that I'm doing a PhD now because I've kind of realized that with glioblastomas, even as a physician, no matter what standard of care you use, the survival is always going to be 12 to 15 months. So I know that research is the only thing that's going to get us further in terms of creating new standards of care. So I'd like to finish my PhD. Ideally, I'd like to finish it as quick as possible, but I don't want to rush the process. But then hopefully I could do med school after that. And I know I've always wanted to do surgery, but I'm really liking the idea of going into neuro-oncology because I think all my experiences have just caused me to gravitate towards cancer research. There have been a lot of unexpected opportunities kind of along the way, but I've really learned to embrace them. So I think in five years from now, I'd like to be in med school and I'd like to have had my PhD, but I'm pretty much open to what life has to throw at me because it's thrown some pretty good things so far. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. And I'm sure wherever you end up, you're going to have such a big impact because you're kind of tackling this from literally every direction. Like you have the research, (laughs) you want to be a clinician and with policy. It's like you're trying to make the (laughs) difference with using every angle. I'm trying to get rid of brain tumors at this point. (laughs) Yeah, basically. You're like the hero that's trying to do this from all the angles and I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I mentioned this to you once. I haven't slept in like seven years. I'm like literally not even joking. It's really bad. Okay, well, I do hope you do take breaks and do enjoy some other more relaxing things in your free time. So tell us a little bit more about personal things outside of your research. What do you like to do just to relax maybe or any hobbies? You know what? I love I love reading and I love this one book. This is again kind of nerdy, but there's a book called Into Voices. This was actually written by my previous supervisor. And the whole story is about how his secretary ended up becoming his patient. And so like the whole book is literally about a conversation between them as like a neurosurgeon who's now operating on his friend. I love that book so much. I love reading, but that book is like really cool. So I'd like really recommend it. Mm -hmm. I feel like for anybody who wants to go into this field and doesn't really understand the patient or caregiver perspective, that's a really cool book to read. I actually really like gardening. I'm just going to throw this in there. Best piece of advice I've ever received was probably from my grandfather. And he and I were like best friends before he passed away. But he always used to say that no matter how big and famous you become, always dedicate one day to charity. Mm. And I think I like I live by that. And I think my brother lives by that. Um, and I think some of my fondest memories are gardening with him. And we always used to garden sunflowers every summer. And then towards the end of the summer, we like individually pick out like a thousand sunflower seeds from the, the core of the sunflower mm-hmm. and we'd roast them. So now I like love gardening just because it, it reminds me a lot of him. It's like also super nostalgic. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I love summer. That's so random, but I love summer because it's like I can garden. It just reminds me of him. That's so sweet. I don't think it's random. I think you highlighted one of the best things in life, which is being able to form these special connections with others like you have with your grandpa and your supervisor had with the secretary. So you're ready for the rapid fire questions? Yeah, bring it on. 
All right, so pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Salty or sweet? Salty. Invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Polka dots or stripes? Oh, neither. Neither? Then what would you... I like, I'm literally, I'm wearing, I wear black like all the time. No patterns. That's your go-to? I Just, don't like, like patterns. straight solid black. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's bolder. It makes you feel more confident. Mm-hmm. Well, for me. Okay. Um, would you rather sleep in late or take a long nap midday? I hate sleeping midday, so I'd sleep late, but I don't like sleeping late, and I don't like waking up early, so I just love sleep, basically. (laughs) That's my answer. (laughs) Okay. What is the best thing you've ever eaten from a restaurant? Or you could say favorite food if you can't think of a specific. Oh, man. Best thing I've ever eaten at a restaurant? Oh, you know what? Um, I don't know if it was at Universal Studios or whatever, but it was in Florida, um, and they had like a nacho bowl, and it was like the bowl, you could eat the bowl. Oh, and wow. like you just keep filling the bowl with a bunch of like um, nacho and taco ingredients. And then when you're done, you eat the bowl. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. That's amazing. Okay. Um, and then if you could transform into one animal, which one would you choose? Oh my God. You know what? A dolphin. You know why? why? <laughs> because I just found out that dolphins um, alternate between what side of the brain they use. Really? So like, because like you always have to, like the dolphins have to keep breathing or a blue whale, one of them, you have to keep breathing and swimming. So like half their brain will sleep and then the other brain will stay like active and then it'll keep switching. And like, that's amazing because you get the best of both worlds. That's really interesting. Because like I love sleeping and I love working and it's like you get to be both. Oh my gosh. I feel like that. I'm going to leave it at that as a final rapid fire question because I love that you brought it back to brains regardless. Oh like my how God, you keep I didn't bringing even realize back. that. Oh my God. So I think that's a great way God, to I end. I have an actual problem. <laughs> no, oh, I think man. you have an amazing passion and clearly it's impacting and helping others. And so um, I just wanted thank you for uh, participating and being on this podcast and allowing us to interview you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I think this is the most fun I've ever had. I mean, I love doing what I do, but this is a lot of fun. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed getting to know a little bit about Shreya and her advocacy and scientific journey thus far. If you'd like to reach out to her, her Twitter handle and UHN email are posted in the episode description available at the ORT website. If you would like to be featured on the Seeds of Science podcast, or if you want to get involved in production, please reach out to us. We hope you enjoy getting to know UHN trainees and postdocs throughout this series. Stay tuned for the next episode in two weeks' time. Seeds of Science is proudly supported by the UHN Office of Research Trainees with a special thanks to Drs. Amanda Berry and Linda Penn. Hosting by Rima Al-Sayed and Dr. Emily Mills. Editing by Dr. Leonardo Messinian and Ariana Besic. Outreach management by Dr. Olivia McHale and Mariam Naimi. Social media by Hilary Milne and Niku Kalardashti. <laughs>